Orgasmic enlightenment, where the sexual and spiritual come together. I'm Kimanami, and I'm a holistic sex and relationship coach and a vaginal weightlifter. In this show, we explore all things intimate. I believe that our sexual energy is life force, creative energy, and we can use it to shape our worlds, strengthen our relationships, and self-actualize. I blend the most avant-garde information from neuroscience, ancient sexual practices like Tantra and Taoism, to renegade wellness modalities to show you how to create gourmet sex in your lives. Come one, come all. Raging, hot, wild, primal monogamy. Are you monogamous? If so, why? What even is monogamy? I have a different definition than what most people have, which is basically not having sex with other people. My version is what I call conscious monogamy. Conscious monogamy is when you fully commit your emotional and sexual resources to your partner. You go deep, you're vulnerable, you reveal the wildest and the softest parts of your heart and your genitals. Well, maybe the harder parts and softer parts combined. You give your partner everything you've got. You show up in bed, you allow yourself to be naked and raw and surrendered, and you emotionally open to them. You pull down your walls, you allow yourself to be deeply penetrated and seen. By that definition, 99.9% of people are not monogamous. They think they are, they think that's the definition that they've got, or not the one I've got, but this idea of just not having sex with other people. But most relationships are actually quite superficial. They're safe, they're tacit agreements to not disrupt the status quo. They rely on don't ask, don't tell, and mountains of white lies. They consist of clitoral orgasms and five-minute fucks and stealthy porn habits. That's not monogamy. That's hiding. Most people don't have their deep heart or their hard and wet genitals on the table or the bed or the kitchen counter or wherever you like. They lock those parts away and they protect them. It's very trendy nowadays to eschew monogamy. And the version of what I see most of the time, I would eschew that too. But that's not real monogamy. That's a bunch of bullshit and denial. If you're balancing on the fence, and you're holding back and you're hiding behind a wall, you're not actually monogamous. You're playing this half-assed protect-yourself game. And yet, the majority of relationships exist in this territory because they just don't know any better. And most people's emotional lives are peppered with their own self-inflicted landmines. So these are the places where we end up building up walls and we have reflexive defense mechanisms because we've been hurt before, we're afraid of getting hurt, and so we start to line our consciousness, our psyche with all of these traps and all of these defense mechanisms. So we usually do this unconsciously to protect ourselves from going too deep. So this will often manifest in our outer lives as various things. Like let's say there's, you know, a couple and they keep having long distance job offers come up in their relationship. And they, and I had this happen. This is where I actually saw it first was in a couple I was working with in coaching. And he just kept having these job offers like three months here, a month there, six weeks there. So half the year he was away. And as we began working together and cleared blockages in the relationship, 
relationship, got them closer. Oh, imagine that. He starts to get job offers closer to home. And that's just an example of how we start to manifest things on the outer that are reflective of what's going in on the internal side of our relationships and in ourselves. So as we clear out our own fears and blocks, as we dare to trust, as we dare to go all in, these obstacles seemingly magically just evaporate. And these things that seemed really difficult or challenging in our lives start to ease off and we get more ease and flow and balance. And it can be very subtle. All these reverberations of fear and protection that show up in our lives that we manifest, again, usually quite unconsciously. Then, as we really begin to commit and commit to being conscious in our relationships, especially our intimate relationship, then space begins to open up and the whole game changes. Your defenses and all of these outer manifestations and inner ones start to fade away. A couple came to my retreat some years ago, and they were in a pretty good place, but they had issues, hence that's why they came to the retreat. That's why most people come to my retreat. Some people come, or to my work, some people come because things are great and they want to know how to get them better, but most people have gotten to some kind of plateau or standstill and they want to know how to get out of it. So they had a pretty good sex life, but she'd never had a vaginal orgasm before, and in fact, this was their big goal in the retreat. They wanted for her to have a G-spot orgasm, and they really wanted her to squirt to ejaculate and if you follow my work at all you know that the main component for vaginal orgasms and ejaculation in a woman is being able to open up and surrender to really let go and if you don't have that then all the technique in the world will get you nowhere They also confided in me that occasionally they invited other people into their bed. So on the second night of the retreat, I give people home play from the very first day. And a lot of the initial home play is about having the conversations that they haven't had perhaps ever, if not then say in a very long time. So things that could be taking up space, contributing to building walls between them and preventing them from getting to deeper places in their sex lives. So we dive into that. So they, on the second night of the retreat, they stayed up very, very late, like past midnight, talking and sharing and clearing years of stuff that had built up over time. And they decided to finally go to sleep. And then the the home play, the physical home play, which was around G-spot play, in women that I designed for them, they were going to do that in the morning. So they skipped yoga and meditation. Good for them. That's the only reason people are really allowed to skip those classes is because they're having a sex date. And they came to class later to share that she'd had her first ever G-spot orgasm and squirting ejaculation. And she was cried tears of release and euphoria, making the sheets even wetter than they already were. And they, you know, came to this amazing breakthrough with such a, a great example of when you do the work and you clear space and you clear the stuff that's been hanging there, it shows up in bed. So all of the stuff that you try not to deal with and acknowledge and pretend isn't there, it's in your bed anyway. It's in the ethers around you, even if you want to pretend it's not. So after the retreat, they shared with me that their desire for other people had faded. Like they didn't know if this was going to be forever, but they felt like they'd 
reached a new level of closeness with each other that they didn't even know was possible. And so the appeal of bringing other people in, the shock of the new, wasn't so interesting to them. And this newfound depth that they had with each other, they felt utterly fulfilled. And I'm not saying that there's a blanket right and wrong when it comes to monogamy or polyamory. What I am saying is that most of the time when I hear the, we're so evolved, we're polyamorous talk coming out, when I scratch under the surface, the couple isn't as close as they could be. And they've begun reaching for other people as this diversion for their own crevasses that they couldn't cross in their own relationship. So underneath that talk of, oh, polyamory is so great, we're not really meant to be monogamous, is like all these unresolved hurts and distance that the couple couldn't overcome. So then they buy into the story that monogamy isn't natural. Or maybe they existed on a kind of safe playing field with each other all along, not being balls deep, cervix and heart hitting deep with each other. They weren't totally real and authentic. And honestly, you don't know what that is until you have it. And that's often what happens when people find my work. They exist on this kind of, well, you know, relationships are supposed to get boring and bad and the sex life goes downhill after two years. Apparently that's just normal. No, 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 that's not normal. That's been normal life. That doesn't have to happen if you prioritize your relationship and you follow, if you do what I fucking tell you to do. So then, you know, after every encounter, every other relationship you've had when you hit this place will fade into oblivion. When you actually get to this deep gourmet sex, heart, genital, surrendered, cataclysmic opening place, everything else fades away. And you generally don't have this craving for other people because they become symbolic. Usually cravings for other people are symbolic of what's missing in your relationship, like a particular quality or energy of that person. And once you begin to have a much more fulfilling sex life with each other, you don't have so much of that need because it's really being satiated in your own bed. So what my work is all about is pulling down the barriers that we all put up that prevent real connection and real monogamy from happening. So the sweet spot is where the heart, the vagina, the cock, they're open, they're wet, they're hard, they're throbbing with life. And when you reach that capacity, when you reach that place with each other, then you tap into the true power of your intimate connection. You're gilded with this kind of superpower that allows you to perform miracles. And then you can use that connection and energy to fuel every part of your lives. And then this puts you into another dimension, another category of relationship, as I'm saying, that less than 0.1% of the population have. So how do you get there? First, I'd say it's about courage and really daring to show up in your relationship because if you're honestly looking at it, how much do you hide? How much do you put up barriers? How much do you preserve your true heart or that last piece of yourself that you're just not going to give up to anybody else ever again? How much of that is hidden underneath the surface? So then you need to clear your blockages. So this is about healing the past to be open to the present. So issues like old sexual abuse. And really, if you look at the statistics in our culture, there are so, it's rampant. There's so many instances of sexual abuse, be it outright family, child abuse, sexual abuse, be it rape and dysfunctional relationships. Like there's so much of it in our culture that almost everybody has some kind of deep trauma that they need to deal with. And most people will just try to bury that under the carpet. Some people actually suppress it so that it's so far beneath that it's under their conscious brain. They don't even know it's there. 
And then it might come out through having mysterious sexual symptoms, like stuff they can't really explain, and all kinds of sexual ailments. I see reproductive ailments as being indicative of stuck sexual energy. And so when we have things like that come up, there's always some kind of underlying emotional, psychological thing that's preceded that, that's then manifested into a physical block or physical expression of a symptom. So it's about going back to heal that stuff. And I can't tell you how many people come through my salons who still have sexual trauma that they haven't dealt with on a very powerful basis. And that stuff that I work with people on is how to actually clear that stuff from your neural pathways, from your nervous system, because talking therapy doesn't just do it. It's not enough to just talk through this stuff. We actually need to clear it from a visceral neural pathway level. The next thing would be open communication. So I value the concept of radical honesty. So this is about being fully transparent and sharing what's in your heart, what's on your mind, how you're feeling, how you feel about your partner, making requests of what you want, rather than going by, like I said, this adage of don't ask, don't tell, or white lies are okay, right? No, like think about if you tell a mountain of white lies, think about how much of that clogs up the space. Like you've literally built a wall between you out of white lies. It's much better to learn how to deliver what you need to say in a loving and compassionate way. Most of it's about delivery. You can say the same thing in a way that's going to make your partner freak out, get totally defensive and attack back because they feel attacked versus you being able to communicate what you want and say it in a way that they can actually hear it and take it in. So again, this is something that I work with in my courses. So then you learn to use your relationship as a power source. So you tap into the actual tangible energy source of your sexual power. So orgasmic, creative sexual energy. I often say, if you're not making babies with this energy, then you learn how to make other things. You direct it into other things in your life. It's that powerful a resource for you. And then you commit and you put in the time. You prioritize your sex life. If you haven't already, check out my podcasts on the three-hour sex date and the sex weekend, which are all about the importance of making the time. People, it's, well, I don't have the time. We're so busy. No, 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 no. You make the time. You have enough time to watch Game of Thrones and whatever other TV you do and whatever other stuff that you do, like surfing on Facebook for a half an hour, an hour a day. All of that time can be used having sex. So it's whether you you put that at the top of your list as a priority or you don't. And ultimately then, it's about using your relationship as a vessel for growth. I often use the phrase, bring all your shit to bed with you. This is where you process it together. So this is where you then look at your relationship, not just as a socioeconomic agreement, which is honestly what it has been for centuries, if not millennia, where we looked at marriage as this unit that's important as part of our cultural you know, makeup, and then people may or may not be deeply in love. Yet we've evolved. Our consciousness has evolved where we now really do look at relationships as a place. And I'm sure there were people in places and times who did in the past as well. But now that we're out of, it's certainly in Western culture, out of more of the survival aspect of life. And actually, well, maybe not because some people still live and, and think they live in that way where they'll stay in relationships because of the economic factor and the social factor. Let's just say then overall that there's more of a movement towards this idea of, let's say, soulmates. So in this kind of relationship, you're trying to, you're connecting to the deepest, most profound 
self of each other and then when things come up in the relationships when you get triggered in the relationship you consider this to be a good thing because it's bringing up your unresolved wounds to the surface and now what do you do with it you either bury it or you face it head on and you do the deeper work of healing and transforming and then you begin to let go of those defense mechanisms over time that keep you from going truly madly deeply with your partner and yourself so that's the ultimate goal in my view is having a relationship that exists as a container for growth and the conscious monogamy piece is such an amazing container because you're committing as i said all of your deep sexual and emotional resources and energies to each other and then you create this beautiful space where you can grow into like a planter pot so that's the ultimate really is to have that kind of situation where you've agreed to do this and then that becomes the framework for your life so to talk more on this idea of conscious monogamy as a container for growth we've got one of my very most favorite well-fucked all-stars up to chat with us well-fucked all-stars welcome marianne Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here and thank you for having me. Always fun to talk to you. So let's talk about monogamy. So you are in a committed monogamous relationship and how would you describe, first, how long have you been together? We've been together for 19 years. Oh my gosh. Okay. And would you, so you know, you're familiar with my work, that you know what I talk about, the definition of conscious monogamy versus unconscious monogamy, which is what I'd say that most people have. So would you describe your relationship as being conscious monogamy? I would now, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would now, but earlier, no. Um, I could I could see all the ways in which we weren't monogamous earlier, even though none of us actually physically strayed from the relationship. Um, so how would you describe that? Because most people, again, would ha their definition would be, oh, we weren't having sex with other people, or we're not, and so that means we're monogamous. And so we're making a distinction there between a certain kind of monogamy and what I call true monogamy. So how were you not monogamous earlier if you weren't, if it wasn't that you were sleeping with other people? What was it? Well, um, we're not being truthful with each other, not really holding, not being radically honest, like sharing our deep vulnerability, our deep truth with one another and holding that in and that translating into, you know, the sexual space as well, not, not being fully open. Um, um, and then, and then, you know, engaging in, um, you know, for my partner at times engaging in porn, um, but not. It, it wasn't something I was ever, and I never had a problem with it. Like I was like, okay, you can do that, but you know, it doesn't does or doesn't work for me or, or whatever. I think that that also is not a part of conscious monogamy. Like if you, um, it's sort of, I don't know, it feels like a leak of your sexual energy. Mm -hmm. So when, um, so over the years, I think, you know, we in the beginning of our relationship there was a lot of we were both very angry um in how some of the things were triggering us but we didn't know what to do with it right so we were we would yell at each other we'd fight um we'd make up we'd have sex and then you know just the whole cycle would start again and it, i used to joke that we were like 
weekend. <laughs> we were weekend partners. Like we wouldn't see each other all week. We'd fight, we'd have sex, and then we'd go again. And it was just this rut that just felt so icky. And I remember it feeling icky and yucky, and I'm like, ugh. And um, and then over the years, like you know, I started to explore growth work for myself and started to learn a few things and noticed that if I changed things within myself that I would be able to notice shifts in him and little things like I never did anything really major in the beginning but it was a really I was so fascinated by this area and so I started to do more work and and then eventually stumbled upon your work um, and found like everything that you were talking about I think I read every single blog post you ever wrote in one weekend and I you know, was so fascinated. I went back and I think I read them again. I read them out loud to my husband. <laughs> like, look at what she's saying. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is, that makes so much more sense. You know, it just felt like all the things in our relationship that were troubling me, you were speaking to. And, and I remember um, finding, I don't think at that time you had actually written a blog about conscious monogamy because um, that was seven years ago. But the idea sort of, as we talked about true intimacy and working with you, I learned about true intimacy and true vulnerability and truly coming into each other and opening up. And we, you know, I remember in one of the courses, there was a question about um, open relationships and and how they work. And I remember you responding to saying that you'd never really witnessed you know, someone, people really truly having conscious monogamy and then going from that place to exploring other relationships so that it just d didn't work and you'd never seen it work. And that also made a lot of sense to me. And, and our relationship, like really deepening with somebody can be a lifetime worth of work. Um, mm -hmm. and, and truly, like, are we totally consciously monogamous right now? I don't think we're we're there. I don't think there's a destination. I don't think we're there. I can, I would probably say it's a degree of being way more than we were before. And in the future, hope to be even more than we are now. So, I mean, yeah, it's a big question. So, um, so what did you notice? Okay. So in your 19 year marriage, at what stage would you say that you were moving more into conscious monogamy and and I agree with you and then it's not like nothing in our evolution is a destination right like we're moving more and more towards it but the more that we have it as a conscious recognition and a conscious agreement then we're occupying that place most of the time and that's part of being human we come and we go right we come and we go we get moments of protection or unconsciousness and then come back to conscious awareness but it's a, to me right. it's a big difference having that as a value and a commitment in the relationship versus having no idea right exactly exactly um so <clears throat> yeah so for us what that looks like is in the beginning so now we rarely argue, um, we'll debate or we'll talk about ideas, but we're not like getting at each other. We're not projecting our triggers onto each other. That was a huge, huge, huge shift. So would you um, say in that, like somebody says something, it triggers some, the other person, they react and then they hit back and then you spiral into this pit. 
Exactly. We were we were exactly that couple um, for a long time. Um, I would say like the first five years or so of our marriage, and then um, things started to shift. We had a child, and I was already shifting, and things started to shift more. And then I found your work, and just sort of this this whole art of being present to your feelings when you're in a trigger. I still work on it and I'm way better than I was but I'm not there and and meaning that I'm I don't have total 100% mastery over it and there are times that I lose it but the difference is that I can recognize that and say you know what sorry I really screwed up there um and I didn't mean that I just and you being able to own it you know that's a, it takes so much courage oh my gosh so much courage to own your own fuck-ups in a relationship and it's also it takes courage it takes radical but it's also the thing that ultimately is like the key to um having that conscious monogamy more conscious monogamy is being able to own what you do and where you stand and what you like you can break an agreement whether you do it consciously or unconsciously but being able to own it when you recognize it is a big deal absolutely and i think that's really the definition there is conscious right because we might stray into unconsciousness or i guess consciously choose to move away from something we've said but to come back and acknowledge it and process it and stick with it is a big deal yeah, and it's it's a it's a constant thing, and when you have children, um, it's even more right. You're you're then having to practice that, not just the monogamy piece with each other, but also you're modeling it for three younger people, um, and they watch everything you do. So, if there's talk about pressure, um, but I think that you don't have to view it as pressure and there are times that I have and there's times when I can be like you know what I'm human and I screwed up girls and I'm really sorry and coming back and apologizing like I've apologized to my children many times for things that I've done or acted in but that's just a way of modeling for them to own their stuff so modeling it is really important both in our marriage for each other but also for the three people that we're raising. Well, that's accountability. Like when people would sometimes say to me over the years, like, oh, you know, when you live in a small town, like everybody knows your business. And then I, I did live in a small town about 25 years ago for a few years, like a thousand people in this town. And in my group of people, maybe like 30, 40 people that were sort of acquaintances that I knew and some good friends. And then that, environment, if you mess up, if you make a mistake, everybody knows. And then the difference is, though, is that you can't just anonymously disappear. Like, people hold you accountable for what you've done. And I thought that was an amazing thing. I thought that was the true use of community. It wasn't some bad thing. It was like, no, 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 you have to face the music if you've done something. And people hold you to that. in a. It was a loving way, not in this gossipy way. It was like, how do we support these other people in our community? And I feel like the family dynamic is a microcosm of that. And say so then if we extend a conscious couple into a conscious family, 
is that everybody feels energetically what goes on in that environment. And so even though we think that we're keeping secrets and we think we're getting away with keeping secrets, we're not. Everything registers on the energetic canvas of the family. So you know, there was always like for years, you, you'll hear people talk about, oh, like, we're staying together for the children. We don't really, we're not really together, but we just think we should model a, a, a relationship to our kids. Right. And they're modeling the most horrific example of a, of a relationship built on bullshit and lies and deception and whatever, as though that's what they're modeling to their kids. And they have no clue that what they're doing is actually way worse than splitting yeah. up and being honest, if that's where it needed to go. But, you know, I, I like what you're saying, because like I said, everything registers in that environment. And so when you acknowledge the truth to your kids, like whether that means you swallow your pride as the adult and you have to say where you messed up someplace, that's because they know anyway. Everybody feels it. Nothing goes unregistered. 100%. Um, you know, we do a circle of truth in our family. Mm, and, beautiful. Um, yeah, so when we all sit down, everyone, you know, we have a talking stick and we share things in the circle and the and the rule is that whatever you share in the circle is you're perfectly safe. No one is going to get mad at you for sharing what you're sharing in the circle and um wow, do you hear some interesting things in the circle that because it's designated as a safe space and nobody can get mad at anybody mm -hmm. for what they say, mm -hmm. it allows for so much truth telling to come forward. It like my children share the most vulnerable stuff that I don't hear in everyday life, but when they come to the circle, wow! Oh, wow. It, it it like every time it's a tearjerker. <laughs> um, How often do you do it? We try to do it about once a month, uh -huh. and um, it is always this incredible space of, and you know, just whatever we may have been holding back or not really sharing, and you know, and then afterwards, there's sometimes the children have questions about things that we say, and we clarify or we explain, um, you know, or, or we'll, and it just allows for. You know, because that's the exact thing you were saying, right? With, you know, be, you know, you can pretend to be together for the kids, but then, you, even if you're pretending, if you're not just pretending to be together for the kids, if you're pretending in any other way, um, that has an impact on your family too. So, our kids know way more about the truth of our lives and our business and with each other, and even what mom and dad do like you know when they're behind closed doors um at least the older ones have begun to understand that and we're not hiding it from them because mm -hmm. you know it's something that w when hidden things are hidden because they're shameful and i don't want my children to grow up with that imprint of shame around any of these things mm -hmm. that are so beautiful and natural to us and 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 so you know, the truth telling is really, <laughs> it's so powerful on so many levels because, um, you know, we're teaching, we're teaching these young people to not just hold us accountable, but each other accountable and whoever they end up with, you know, they'll bring that to their, cause they're growing up in the fabric of that accountability being 
a core it's a core value for our family so what i take from that and i fully agree with is that when there is untruth and hiding inside of that fabric both in your personal relationship with your partner and the overall family it creates disturbances it creates energetic disturbances that people pick up on and it creates interferences so bringing it back to the sexual piece like you're um I know watching you go through your practices and amazing evolution during the time that we were working together, and this was, you know, from years ago, and you were like, I had all these amazing rock store stories, like, is this normal? I want to have sex all the time. I'm insatiable. I keep having orgasm after orgasm. Like, you were actually, like, concerned. Like, is this a problem? (laughs) So, So speak to me about, like, once you're in a more committed space to valuing your sexuality, valuing that as the core of your relationship and in a more open place for communication and of course like physically, like what has that done to your sex life? Oh, it skyrocketed our sex life so much. I mean, I think we did the 30 days of, um, you know, 30 days of sex and, had to face so much of emotional stuff that came out of that. And, um, and then, you know, committed to the, our sex dates and, and just growing in our relationship in that way. And that when people discover what's really possible within two people, then it's eternal. And, and part of the reasoning behind that when I talk about it is that people, if you're in a conscious relationship, you're always growing and changing. And, you, and people are like, oh, you'd be with the same person for 20 years or 50 years. You're not the same people unless you choose stagnation. <laughs> if you're choosing growth and evolution, right. you're always new people. You're always changing and growing and have this dynamic you know, vibrancy between you and with yourselves, unless you're committed to stagnation, then yeah, you will be the same people for 20 years, 50 years. And I guess the other question I have for you then is like, how do you see the sexual piece as really fueling your life? So when you became, I know that I saw that, you know, how you really started to learn. I think you were probably a good manifester already, but I saw that increase even like where you were able to really imagine what you wanted and draw that into your life and how do you see that tying into conscious monogamy wow i think um i think they're very connected um yeah i've always been able to manifest things but i learned through working with you how to use my sexual energy in for creative work in my life so you know, whatever I wish to create, um, and tapping into that flow. Cause when that opened up in me, it was extremely powerful. I mean, I, I sort of didn't know what hit me. That's why I asked you those questions, you know, um, is this normal or whatever? It's like, oof, like, like you opened up a, a well and it's like, Oh my God, I didn't know what was in here. And, um, that creative flow is so strong, especially because I think we've cultivated it for each other and for myself particularly. I've really focused on cultivating that creative flow and how to channel that sexual energy for creation. Um, But also I channel it for our relationship and creating a deeper, stronger, more connected, more vulnerable 
more truthful, more honest space between the two of us. Um, and I think you can really use it for creating whatever you like in life. Um, it's such an, it's such a fuel for people. Um, if you know how to tap into it. So I think that conscious monogamy and using this creative flow energy is they're completely connected in the sense that I don't think you can have real deep conscious monogamy without the other. You can't have it. I, I mean, in my life, I don't know if you've witnessed it in other people where it's not one isn't present. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to this idea of, to use, go back to your example of the conscious family, right? And having the truth telling and trying to keep the space very clear. When you add in all of these additional dynamics, many, many other energies that enter into the fields. Like if, if you know, the, the energy, sexual energy is so powerful in general. And so you have two people coming together in this container of conscious monogamy where you're committed to growth and evolution, exploring on a deep, 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 deep level. You're inviting the deepest manifestation and expression of these energies as possible. And so it's like you create a container with your relationship to handle that, to handle that crazy kundalini explosive life-changing rebirthing energy and it's a beautiful container for it if it's a really solid container which is the work of conscious monogamy and then I think without that container, it just becomes a messier situation. And I tend to see a lot more leakage, you know, leakage with health issues, leakage with financial issues, leakage with career issues. Like on some level, I always find leakage in those situations where people are um, consciously trying to carry on a lifestyle like this. Right. Right. I agree. I agree. That makes perfect sense about the container because the container is really powerful um you know because when when my husband and I talk and share about our you know our family and our vision for our family and what our dreams are what our goals are for for the children for ourselves that container um is fueled by that sexual creative energy that is between us mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and the more you cultivate it and channel it the more focused your results are right mm -hmm. yeah like quantum leap type results you know, yeah you go beyond like that idea of just things manifesting out of thin air things dropping into your lap massive opportunities coming to you that's the threshold that you pass through once you've hit that level of conscious relationship conscious monogamy extremely powerful yeah powerful magical beautiful stuff all right anything else you want to add before we wrap up no, I just want to say thank you so much for this opportunity to share and go down memory lane a little bit because that was really <laughs> good. Thank you. <laughs> we enjoyed it. Me too. Thanks for being here. Sax position of the week. 
Now it's time for our sex position of the week. So today, in keeping with our theme of conscious monogamy, we want to see each other. So this can, now, in any front-facing position, I want you to maintain eye contact. So at least 10 minutes worth of eye contact as you're having intercourse with your partner. So this could be missionary position, woman on top, anything that has you face to face or at least looking at each other like I say woman on top you might not be she might be like more cowgirly and riding you but looking at each other and I want you to hold a minimum of 10 minutes of eye contact you'd be amazed at how miraculous this is and how hard it is for most people to do it and how motherfucking totally arousing and hot it is to do it because once you start to really open and realize that somebody's truly seeing you for the deepest part of who you are, the floodgates of erectile and uh, uh, ejaculatory squirting orgasmic flow just let loose. And that's it for today. The Coming Together Salon is coming soon. This is my signature 10-week online course for couples and it begins in early May. Are you coming? Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe and also leave a review and send someone else the gift of a healthy libido and an off the charts love life by sharing this episode with them. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, many happy orgasms.